fists up. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you made me malignant. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film The Five Bloods. The Five Bloods? That's what you're trying to say? No. The Five? No, no. The Five Bloods, right? It's duh. What are the five different kinds of bloods? Is like white blood cells, T cells, uh, red blood cells. What, what other bloods are there? I, That's what we're doing, right? No. I mean, if, do we want to? I mean, you're... No, my wife should my I should know this because my wife will definitely know this. I didn't want to be embarrassed. I didn't want to air your fam- familial laundry. I didn't want to bring up your wife. In a oh, season. no, no, no. She will be not only will she be embarrassed. She will sit me down and try to school me on the different kinds of blood cells, uh, which I don't know anything about. But what I do know about is a movie that we're doing this week directed by one of my favorite directors. I'm a young man by the name of Mr. Spike Lee. Yes. Uh, who released. Not so long after an Oscar win for his previous film, Black Klansman, uh-huh. his latest film on Netflix, despite the fact that this film was supposed to premiere at Cannes, uh, but obviously uh, did not, uh, you know, didn't go ahead because of the the, the COVID shutdown. It wasn't going to play in competition because um, Spike Lee was going to be uh, a member of the jury, I believe, this year. Ah. So uh, great to be able to watch a movie at home, right? I mean, right? I mean, it's I mean, it's always nice. It's no longer novel. Uh... Here's a couple of questions for you, then. Are you going to go back to the movies? They're talking about movie theaters opening up in California next week. No. I mean, no. For Is there a vaccine? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me check with my wife. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Uh, no. No. So, no. Um, <laughs> I mean, look. I, in certain situations, here's some things I was thinking about with the COVID crisis going on right now. Okay. Emergencies are important things. Would I go in an airplane? Yes. Because uh-huh. the air is filtered, they do a lot of different things. It is not crowded, etc. It is a uh, 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 they're doing a lot to keep that industry alive and afloat. And and I to work at an airline, at least in my head, uh, I give you, it's a little more complicated or a little more things you need to do or know or have or practice than uh, working at a movie theater. Where I give you two stories, two two horror stories right now, just to refute sure. what you just said. The first is Orlando International Airport tested 500 of their employees this morning, or they released the results from it. 260 of them tested positive for COVID. Perfect. <laughs> so it's a filtering thing. Then, just anecdotally, a friend of mine recently went on a flight and got COVID. Um, right, but here's my point. Even with <laughs> yeah, that, I know, I'm even, even I know. with your numbers, <laughs> and again, I'm not saying I'm jet-setting here. I'm just saying if I had to do it, I would do it because the level of risk. Yeah. I don't have to go to a movie theater. Oh, no. I miss it, but yeah. I also like breathing. Right. <laughs> so, no. I mean, look, we've talked about this before. It's the whole reason why we did a Trolls World Tour episode. Like, there's – the game is changing, my friend. The, the game is absolutely changing. And, again, I think, like I said on the Trolls uh, episode, the film that this is really all anchoring around, and it's definitely this film because the other film that – could be released in this period that not a lot of people are talking about is Mulan, but the film that everyone's talking about in terms of its release is Tenet. And and I was chatting to a friend today who works in film distribution, and we were talking about the fact that, you know, because it's like, to me, I was like, well, just, it's it's obvious that if they want Tenet, so Tenet has been uh, delayed now, and yep. so, and, and on the back of Tenet being delayed, a whole bunch of movies got delayed, so Wonder Woman decided to push its release date as well. Um, uh, you know, it seems obvious that that if they want this film to come out, the thing that needs to happen is to release it on VOD, right? Yep. Right. Here's the problem. 
Trolls, you can kind of get away with releasing on VOD. Yes, you piss off AMC. Yes, you jeopardize that relationship with AMC. But the justification to putting out Trolls uh, to World Tour on VOD sort of seems a little bit more viable to me. Families are at home. They need a, you know, they were going to go see this movie anyway. It's primarily a movie for families and groups to go, you know, with their children, that sort of thing. Tenet is a four quadrant, maybe a four quadrant movie. So putting that out on VOD really damages the theater business because it opens the Pandora's box of why do we need to go to the movie theater at all? And secondly, it also destroys the Blu-ray and uh, the Blu-ray and DVD business. And that's a, you know, these are, that's a significant thing to think about with that, with, with putting that film on VOD. Here's the thing. Does it, because there's two sides of both of that and let's go with even, okay. So yes, it does, damage the relationship studios have with movie theaters. But you could also do something for a temporary span of time. And then people would ask, for instance, well, why do we have to go to movie theater? Like, we watched all these at home when COVID was going on. Now that we're in a, two, uh, tw- uh, t- I don't know, 2022 post-COVID world, whatever the hell yeah. it is, now that we're all yeah. safe, wh- uh, why would we have to uh you know go to the movie theater again when we also get it. and then you know what would have to happen to save the movie theater industry they'd have to make it worth going to straight up they'd have to do all the things we talked about to make the movie going experience better across the board to get people to come back to it as a service so again they could temporarily do something and then move back to that with sort of an upping of what you're getting or like a you know an experience because again straight up again in 2029 when we're done with covid yeah. <laughs> before the next fresh hell um the uh, people are going to want to go places like there's no question that when this is done people will want to move about so offering a service where one could where where things might be worthwhile to move about is definitely not something in a that's a bad move for a company. The Blu-ray thing. I wonder if it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was ahead. just gonna say the Blu-ray thing is an interesting bit too, because then again you'd have to do sort of like a temporary thing, and I wonder. That, that's I, my point. Is like I think with everything there's a temper. You know, like it's just saying okay, we're doing this once. Yep. But Tenant, for example, is you know Christopher Nolan is one of the last great big block you know blockbuster genuine blockbuster filmmakers you know people who go to see a film in the theaters because of his name yep so to put his films at home and he's made you know a huge yes. argument for going to the movies um to put his films at home i think is going to change the change the landscape dramatically like it tenant is probably the film that every major theater chain was banking on this year to draw in crowds Right. I guess so, here's here's the weird thing, and maybe I'm uh, look. I could 100 percent be out of touch. I I have not been incredible. I know from the media side of things, it's been a huge deal. But I guess in the circles that I travel in socially or now on the internet, no one gives a shit. Like it's weird. Like I think it's going to be a fucking great movie. Do not get me wrong. But again, I have had a hard time getting excited for it two trailers, two and a half trailers deep now. I'm just like, right. okay, neat. Like, but you, but you, do, you do understand that, that Christopher Nolan, no, just on the basis of a Christopher Nolan releasing a movie in the movie theater, that's a deal. I but don't if know we, if it, it is as much anymore as it used to be. Really? What, what was the downside for you? 
No, the, oh, there's literally no downside. I just don't think the interesting part, especially since we're getting like it's, and this is actually a, a, a sad thing. I think a, a, a bit. Uh, we're either getting, and we've talked about this, the homogenization of film being at the Marvel model or franchises, et cetera, that, you, that we've had mo- different opinions on based on some things. But one of the negative things is it does take a lot of screen real estate. We've talked about this. You've brought it up before. And then on the flip side of that, we're getting a little bit of the pushback with sort of like, and I guess I kind of go to like Bloomhouse that uh, are releasing sort of like smaller but really culturally relevant films. I mean, that are sort of like are either catapulting new names to the forefront of these sort of things or or at least sort of different or newish ideas. Um, it's weird because I think the homogenization of the blockbuster has made me less excited for a, a, a phenom like Christopher Nolan to release a film in the blockbuster space. But wouldn't Christopher Nolan fall more into the Blumhouse space in terms of releasing original... Um, original content. Not if we're that's positing, not franchise based. Not, not if we're positing that he's this giant four quadrant blockbuster person. No, I mean I'm not right. saying that the content of his films and what they're about cannot lean into that space. But if we're categorizing him, we've categorized so, him so, as this. But are you giant? Are you draw. then lumping Nolan with with Marvel? Is that what you're doing? I'm saying that due to the landscape, I think my personal. Uh, purview or view of the of that system kind of falls in the same space i also could be a bit um i mean we've talked about this before um how i was not the largest fan of dunkirk right um neither was i and and that doesn't take away anything else from the other nolan films that i love but like i think i think it's coming this is i think what the marvel thing is doing or the or the the homogenization and franchise thing i'm getting less excited for I mean, we've used this term a bunch. Auteur blockbusters. Well, okay. Uh, look, like, wait, and where in the Marvel universe are you seeing the auteur blockbusters? I'm not. What I'm saying is they've sort of done away with that thing for me. Like, again, okay. I don't think there are any auteur blockbusters. I think Christopher Nolan, like you said, is kind of the last one right, right. now. Right. So anyway, I, my point is, <laughs> yeah, you in 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 the film. Film Twitter, right, yeah. or or whatever we want to group that in, and the, and the people that talk about this stuff all the time for a living that are super deep, for the most part, I think are hyper fucking psyched for Tenant, right? For whatever reason, I'm just not. So okay. I again, maybe this is how I'll sort of end my point. Yeah. You're probably correct. I'm not feeling it. Right. No, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. I, I get that you're not feeling it. I'm just saying, even as a movie podcaster, you would agree one of the biggest movies we're going to do this year would be Tenet, right? One of the ones that the most people would see. Yes, yes. Yeah, and most people would listen to, and the most probably conversation would go around would probably be Tenet. I, I would mean, hope unless it's, so. Unless it's, unless it's, you know, miraculously different than what we think it's going to be. Uh, unless it's you know, Trolls World Tour. Uh, unless it's Trolls World Tour. <laughs> Regardless, uh, this is a whole conversation. I remember us getting an email a few weeks ago about us doing these side tensions before the episode. And Oops. so I apologize for that. But uh, worth having a conversation we'll, about. Um, Be- <laughs> we'll put the time code in the thing. We forgot to do it last week, I remember. <laughs> but we will do it this time. I'll write it down. 
Okay, and then uh, thank you to everyone who's written us in for our Jaws giveaway. We had a great episode last week where we had five 4K Blu-rays yeah. to give away of Jaws, a fantastic movie which you should watch in any venue, any sitting, um, in any way possible. I wonder, actually, they used to do a screening of Jaws on the water. Did you, did you ever hear yeah. about that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They used to do it inside a, they would like, uh, you could swim during the movie. Well, they used uh, because they've done, they've done that a lot of different places. They did that. Um, you could they basically it would inflate a, a screen on the ocean or on the whatever, yeah. and they anchor it down, <laughs> and they have a projector. Uh, I think it's actually the ones that I've seen that have worked the best is it's a back projector. So like yeah. it's not like the I'm doing hand motions like everyone on the on the audio podcast could see what I'm doing, but like it's not like there's a projector on land projecting at a moving floating target. Like it's yeah, actually yeah. all on one thing. It's all connected. It's very yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, so uh, we did have five Blu-rays to give away. We have got m- much more than five uh, five responses to my question, which was how many. Men did the sharks eat on the USS Indianapolis, and it's not a deep blue sea situation. The sharks didn't come onto the deep blue, onto the USS Indianapolis and start murdering people. Uh, there was a little bit more to that story. Uh, got a got a got a few uh, mostly right answers, a couple of incorrect ones, a couple that I really want to give a second shot to because I I not that I know these listeners, but I know like these listeners right in, and hey, I'm like I really wanted you to get this. Doesn't matter. Rules are rules. <laughs> rules are rules. Um, but we will announce the winners on Twitter next week. Uh, thank you, everyone, for writing us in. You can always write us in with just random answers to Jaw Trivia, Jaws Trivia at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at OnlyMoviePod. I would love or- it. Just to <laughs> cap our last conversation before we move on to Defy Bloods. <laughs> I would love it, listeners, if you wrote in and told me how psyched for Tenant you are. Okay. Seriously, I, this is not like a, a dumb ploy or a stupid thing I'm doing. Like, I want to be psyched for Tenant. Make me psyched for Tenant through, let me live vicariously through your hype. That's what so I the want. Interesting, you know, the interesting thing is, I'm not hyped for Tenant the film. I'm just hyped for Christopher Nolan putting a movie out. That's, that's my only thing. Me personally. But I just know he's a big deal. <laughs> right. But yeah. <sighs> I don't want right. to be psyched for him. I want to be psyched for the film and be like, good job, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think I think it's difficult to distinguish the brand Christopher Nolan from the director Christopher Nolan. And uh, I think, you know, for me, again, he's a reason to go see movies in the movie theaters, which yeah. is sad that that's probably not going to happen for him, given that he's such an advocate for it. Do you think they're going to release it? I imagine they could hold it for like a year. Uh, I think they can hold it for a while. There's nothing. They're, they're not like scrambling to get like tenant merch out there yeah. or anything like that. Or you know, so they can hold it. But the thing is, they've really you know, and and look, it's not a situation that has been brought on because of mismanagement. It's a situation that's been brought on by the fact that there's a pandemic in the air. Yeah. Um, and one that happens to be highly contagious in close proximities, which is a movie theater. Um, so uh, I believe. That tenant will eventually be, you know, it'll eventually be released. We will eventually see it, and it'll eventually be the mark of a new era in the way we watch movies. Or it uh, will be the same guard as ever. My predictions are hedging my bets against nothing. So take that for what you will. Okay. Um, <laughs> one person who still has difficulty getting movies made, surprisingly, even after having won an Oscar just as recently as last year for best uh, best screenplay, uh, is uh, Spike Lee. Yeah. And a filmmaker uh, who's been around for around twenty, making films for around twenty five years, I believe. Uh, uh, if we look back at uh, uh, she's got to have it in school days, and then eventually the the sort of the the masterwork that brought him to the international stage, which was uh, do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And a filmmaker that we've talked about a couple of times on this podcast. We've done Crooklyn, uh, also starring Delroy Lindo, and uh, and Black Klansman as yep. recently as last year, which were two movies. I mean, for me personally, I, I, I think I remember your opinion on it, but I'll let you speak for that. But two movies where we... Well, for me, again, I love the filmmaker. I personally, you know, like Spike Lee is someone uh, whose films I would consider staple diets. Um, you know, I grew up watching them. I, there is a summer where I legitimately watch Do the Right Thing at least 20 times. Um, and, you know, like when I, my brother, uh, <laughs> there was a stage in my life when my brother said, you don't look cool and I'm going to go, ta- I'm going to take you clothes shopping now. Um, and so he took me out clothes shopping and all the clothes I bought were to dress like Mookie from Do the Right Thing. There you go. Like I brought the same, you know, um, I think he's wearing like a baseball uh, uh, a sort of shirt. Sure. Uh, the same sort of shorts, pair of Jordans, you know, the same kind of hat. Uh, I was really trying to be Mookie. Um, so I love this filmmaker. I love his films. There's so we talked to, I, I, in many years ago now, we probably talked a little bit about Ridley Scott being one of these like great filmmakers who, in my opinions, only made like one or two great films. Um, when I look back at the body of work of Spike Lee, there are so many great films in that, in that body that, that even his recent films, which barely register sometimes you know like i don't think a lot of people saw red hook summer or uh the sweet blood of jesus mm-hmm. um yeah, i didn't but see that one no i i mean i didn't see any of these um but you know do the right thing malcolm x jungle fever girl six i love inside man four little girls do- you know the documentaries when the levies broke 25th hour summer of sam get on the bus clockers yeah the guy's just a you know he's a phenom yeah um and i you know i'm excited anytime he's got anything out yeah, this this movie in particular, and and there's something. It, it's how do I how do I sort of word this? So, correct me if I'm wrong, but this movie has had a thank you has been <laughs> uh, in production for a little while, right? Right. That that okay. You're right. Yes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the and the interesting thing about Spike Lee it, and all of his films is uh, there is a message. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it just so happens now with the uh, hopeful continuation of this sort of uh, what I w- hope is a uh, cultural renaissance in the United States to stamp out racism and be actively anti-racist everywhere that we can. Um, a film like The Five Bloods feels like like it was like crafted for this moment. Right. It wasn't. Spike Lee has been telling us this shit for fucking years, and it just so happens to line up. So I was thinking about that like while I was experiencing this movie, and it's insane. Uh, You know, it's both great and terrible, like in that regard, if that makes sense. I I think, though, it's it's probably the second thing that you're kind of defining, which is that the movie is not necessarily made for this moment. It just happens to be that this moment has aligned with with everything that Spike Lee tends to do. Yes. And and in particular, you know, like, again, while Christopher Nolan might be feeling the the sort of heat of not being able to get his four-quadrant blockbuster into a movie theater, Spike Lee, who struggles to get films financed, is suddenly doing well by the fact that everyone's at home and Black Lives Matter is having a major moment right now. Uh, And so people want to see films by African-American filmmakers that uh, are are touching on the pulse of what it means to be an African-American in America. Yeah. Um, And that happens to be what Spike Lee has been doing his entire life, you know, his entire career. Um, And I think, you know, for me, 
there's something interesting about Spike Lee as a filmmaker, which is that the 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 convergence between his politics and his aesthetics has always been unique, to say the least. Which is to say, uh, in a film like Do the Right Thing, there are direct monologues to the camera where a character suddenly starts speaking yep. in epitaphs which seem to come from the director. It, there's, a, there's a relationship where you feel the boundary between what the film is doing on a narrative level breaks away and you start hearing what the director wants you to what wants to tell you yes. on a on a direct one-to-one level. You know, like uh, Spike Lee's famous uh, dolly shot where, you know, he puts people onto the dolly is kind of a reflection of that. He's he's willing to like let his aesthetics reflect his politics, which is to say, and I think this is the reason why Spike Lee's movies are difficult to fund or you know, at least in some part difficult to fund is that his films poke the audience. You know, they generally, he jabs at the audience all the time. Yeah. These are not films made to make you feel good. These are films to make you think. And oftentimes, especially in our current culture, when people that don't usually think, think you're going to feel bad because you haven't been thinking like, and, and, you know, it's funny because in some of the film, in some of his films, I find while I while I respect that tactic, and almost I would say that I don't want this to come off as a as a detriment because I don't think it is on a principle level. But I would say that a lot of times there are many blunt moves in his films, right? But. Uh, and not all the time does the subject matter of the particular story being told lend itself to what I might consider being the best move to do it that way. But mm. in a film like The Five Bloods, it's fucking perfect, in okay. my opinion. Okay. The level of like story, narrative, and also sort of like either characters monologuing to tell you what Spike Lee is thinking or using actual historical footage to give you the feeling of things that either he wants you to or the characters are experiencing or thinking about, especially in a film that's based and has a narrative structure and mechanic in it of flashback to a different time in the characters' lives, Mm -hmm. it all flowed together so perfectly from a topic and tonal perspective for me. Um, right. I know I'm kind of getting into my first thoughts about this. No, no, absolutely do this. Um, but holy shit, uh, this movie, I was expecting- Did you say this movie? No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> this movie, this movie, I'm trying to try to get it no, really No, no, you should there. do it. I think we should go with it. This but, movie. But uh, I, I thought I would enjoy this movie. I didn't expect to fucking fall in love with this film the way that I did. Hmm. Uh, I, the, the, the story, actually, let me just read out the IMDb movie description so I'm not just talking out my butt talking about what this movie is sort of about, or at least the, 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 the narrative trappings that it wraps what it's about in. It was very strange that you got up on your table to like put your butt to the microphone when you were, when you were doing this whole conversation. I uh, did find it odd. Allow me to ask you a question. Um, no, uh, IMDB, uh, says that, uh, Defy Bloods is four African-American vets battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide. 
right off the bat. That sounds fucking fascinating. Hmm. Like the cons, and, and like I don't know if maybe I just don't have an imagination, or like this is this. I don't know the, the this concept to me of first, especially the way this film breaks down, and then uh, I guess kind of spoiler from the IMDb movie thing. Like they have ulterior, they have they have dual motives for doing the thing. Like a v- Vietnam vets going back to present day Vietnam. To not to like kind of experience it like in the beginning of this film, it feels like they're kind of going on a vacation, but then immediately you're like, no, 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 they're going to find the the remains of their squad leader, and then you find out that there's also a gold fortune in the mix. Um, <laughs> it just had me at every turn for what like when when the character's like, oh, we're doing this thing, I'm like, oh, it's so interesting. The, the, these four men's relationship with not only U.S. military and politics, but, you know, going over there and fighting and now seeing the land of how it has transformed and what it is now for better, you know, or worse or, like, whatever, that's interesting. You layer that on top of, like, duty and honor and trying to find someone who you are, who was incredibly important to you that fell in battle with you and your brothers out there, that's important. And then you have this side thing of, like, this gold fortune that they hid, the reasons why they did it, the plan to get it back, why they are doing it, why individual characters are doing it. It uh, Seriously, and I feel like I've just been rambling right now. This movie blew my fucking mind. I loved this movie so much. What what did what did you think, Shahir? Um, when I heard what the film was, I immediately thought to uh, an episode of The Simpsons, which I haven't watched a lot, but it was the, the, the Flying Hellfish, which was the episode where Abe Simpson and... Um, uh, Mr. Burns go back to uh, Germany, I believe it is. Well, there, there's a piece of stolen art when they were soldiers that they decided that they would have a, uh, you know, that only one of them would retrieve when when they died. Okay. So I'd kind of, the, the idea of the, the sort of old man heist thing kind of, it seemed, it, I, I thought this was basically going to be a live action version of the Flying Hellfish. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and then also uh, I'm reminded of uh, two things, which is, um, uh, uh, the film Three Kings uh, with George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg about the uh, Iraqi soldiers who find uh, Saddam's gold um, and, you know, uh, uh, concoct this elaborate heist to get it out of there. Um, and of course, um, uh, Spike Lee's previous film, previous World War, uh, World War II film, uh, The Miracle at St. Anna, which I have not seen, have heard very bad reviews about. But I remember the reason that Spike Lee wanted to make that film was basically not, well, not necessarily the only reason, but, you know, he had, um, he spoke out publicly during the, the production of that film about about Clint Eastwood's films, uh, the, the Flags of Iwo Jima. Yep. And, and uh, you know, the, what were the two films? The Flags of Iwo Jima. Oh, shit. And, uh, what was the other one? What was the other one? He made those two back-to-back films. Uh, anyway, you'll, you'll Google that while I while I keep going. But it's essentially what Spike Lee said around that time. Um, flags of our know, fathers. Flags of our fathers and letters letters to letters to Iwo Jima. All right, I'm glad we're we are definitely professional movie podcast. Yep. Well, we have <laughs> Google, so we can do anything. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, uh, Spike had. Uh, y- 
had talked about the fact that there were no African-American soldiers in either of those films and that that omission was glaring in his opinion. Yeah. Like the words he used was, I know the history of Hollywood and its omission of more than one million African-American men and women who contributed to World War II. Uh, and not everything was John Wayne, baby, yeah. uh, as, as Spike likes to put it. And I think, you know, Spike has sort of made a case for for making sure that African-American history is put in in the correct context. If we look at Black Klansmen, you know, the idea that there was an African-American uh, responsible for the bringing down of the Klan uh, in that particular town was, you know, is, is relevant. He's basically, he's constantly reminding us of the role that African-American people have played in American history. And, you know, uh, even to the extent of uh, in Do the Right Thing, you know, like there are two, um, the the burning of two particular images are of of Martin and Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all to say that the the novelty of this particular concept didn't necessarily excite me. Just Spike Lee, you know, seeing what he could do with this concept or what he would do. And I think the thing for me is that 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 battle between the the his politics and the narrative tensions of this film do come head to head in a way uh, for me in in many cases. I think, uh, you know, from, and, and this this actually happened during Black Klansman as well, which is I, I think that Spike Lee is fantastic now when he is directly addressing the audience. That is the moments that I really love, the, the moments where where it's Spike Lee, the film professor, you know, kind of giving me an education on film. The narrative conceits of the film itself, you know, I think are pretty, pretty good, um, but they don't, you know, like uh, there's a there's at times a certain clumsiness to the way this film is put together narratively that I, I don't get fully engaged or vested in the in the eventual outcome of whether these four men will gather the gold or, you know, what happens when one of them betrays another each other. I think, you know. Um, there is certainly a Delroy Lindo moment going on right now, and I'm and I'm so happy for that because he is he is like the 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 scene stealer from all of Spike Lee's '90s films. You know, like he is he is absolutely mesmerizing in Malcolm X. Uh, he's terrific in Barry Sonnenfeld's Get Shorty. Uh, he's fantastic in Clockers. You know, he's just such a great. Um, bit player I, I say bit player and that's not the right word but but what i love is is that he's the guy that you can't take your eyes off no matter which part he's in and he's never really had the opportunity to do a leading man and this is not that leading man role but this highlights why he's so good and for, for just one other thing is despite playing a 60 something year old this dude has not aged since the 90s <laughs> like he looks exactly the same like still tall handsome you know like imposing um you know, it, it just as he was back in the nineties. Yeah. Um, so, um, so, so for me, the the, the to, to sum it up, I think Spike's ability to sort of pontify, politically pontify, I think is really great, and I think he's really, really good at putting those moments into an otherwise okay narrative. And the okay narrative side of it is what doesn't really work for me. It doesn't really play i think there are moments when this film really sings and then there are moments where this film feels a little clumsy um for example there's a moment when a character um uh is revealed to have a daughter uh in you know that they didn't that they weren't aware of and it comes off to me um slightly um i don't know how you put it but luke it's a little bit clumsy it's blunt 
Yeah, it's clumsy. It, it, it just it, it feels like his interest isn't necessarily on these narrative tenants. But but he is a you know like Spike is a terrific filmmaker. You know like he's a, he's a fantastic filmmaker. I just think his interests wane between between narrative and politics. I think you are correct. But I also think this film is the perfect fusion of those two things for an effect. Okay. Um, again, I, how I kind of said before, like a lot of times it does feel clicky. End of Black Klansman, incredibly yeah. powerful. Not quite part of the film. Like, yeah. Well, I was thinking about the actual final chase sequence in Black Klansman feels clumsy. To well, me, but, I mean, yeah. but even beyond that, like I'm talking about the other, like, but again, because of the narrative trappings of this film and how there's like narrative flashbacks along with like real life flashbacks. And also these characters felt to me like finally, like the, the perfect amalgamation of like actual film character. Okay. And representation of a specific, um, type of person in this situation so for instance i think with the daughter moment let's sort of go back to that when when i believe uh clark peter's character of otis uh and again we're getting it a little bit into spoilers now so rock and roll um uh finds out that he has a daughter right uh i saw that as sort of a moment of like you know what like and the way it was so blunt, it didn't really focus a lot on, like, Otis or his, the wife or his, his, the daughter sort of, like, coming to terms in that moment. It was yeah. more along the lines and sort of shed light and, and importance on the fact that, you know what you don't think about normal moviegoer a lot in Hollywood? The fact that not only were there African Amer a ton of African-American soldiers in Vietnam, but the Many of them have now half African American, half Vietnamese children that yeah. were left behind, like for better or worse, you know, whatever. Like it's just because of the nature yeah. of that and, war. You know, the 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 uh, HBO's Watchmen kind of illustrated that point this yes. year as well. Yes. You know? Um. So, but so like, it's weird because I felt like the bluntness helped me experience that thought process more than just focusing on this one particular character i don't know if i'm saying that correctly but like Here, here's a difference for me and again it'll it'll just go back to the fact that i've watched a lot of spike lee movies um is two things one is uh spike lee is a is one of the most world's most former you know amazing narrative filmmakers no doubt in my mind about that i will qualify that statement every day with you know showing you his entire body of work he also happens to be one of the greatest documentary filmmakers that's ever lived. You know, his film, When the Levees Broke and Four Little Girls, is uh, some of the most powerful documentary filmmaking I think I've ever seen. And it's because in those situations, he can just fully focus on the political. Like, he just really is just telling uh, a direct political story. The The counterpoint to this is um, his, his movie, He Got Game, with Denzel Washington. That is a movie where I genuinely feel that Spike loves those characters. Like he loves those people and everything that they're mm -hmm. going through. And he wants to show you the, not just the trauma, but the joys that these people have. Sure. Like that's a, that's a movie where these people love basketball so much that it hurts when we don't see the, when they don't get to play. Um, and this is not a movie where I feel where I feel that love per se. You know, like I feel characters are kind of dropped in and they they can be voice pieces for for political ideas. 
but they're not necessarily. I don't feel those the love for those characters. I think this movie has a lot of love in it. Yeah, and I love it. I love watching these characters play with each other, but I don't ache for them. If but that makes sense. That in a sort I of think use the word love. But that's the thing. I think the fact I don't disagree with you. I think, but the fact I see that as a strength for what I I think this film is trying to portray. Mm-hmm. Again, it's if. If I was lost in falling in love with the specific characters, I wouldn't be thinking about the overall meaning as easily or as clearly in a weird sort of way. And because it takes a master like Spike Lee to sort of make that bluntness also function, Hmm. that's another reason why this knocked me out of my fucking boots. Like, and and it it goes sort of... It's not even just the characters. It's like the bluntness of the things he's showing you that you should think about that you that I personally just don't on the norm often. Like, straight up. When they're all back after they've all gotten there and they're in their hotel and you kind of get a little bit of like, I think it's after their meal uh, mm-hmm. and they do the cheers with the, with the Vietnamese soldiers who like fought on the other side and they, yeah. you know. Etc. We get sort of where all the four men stand. Viet Cong. Right? Yeah. yeah. Or actually, it might have been right before this. I think they might have. This might have happened before. It's that shot of the DJ, and Apocalypse Now is in the background, and it pans back. Uh, right. The camera pulls back, and then it says like Bud Light underneath him, mm-hmm. and he's dig- and then they all just sort of dance forward. Right. That moment to me was so fucking powerful because again and maybe i just haven't seen enough films of the returning to vietnam or returning to a place of war that worked but like these are these are four men in the country that well our country sent them there to be killed by that country but like that are now experiencing this place in a completely different light but it's but the backdrop is literally consumerism based on the horrors they experienced right and i'm like ah yeah. but i i love the i love that uh, that line is like if they just opened a mickey d's here we wouldn't have had to go to war yeah um you know like all they had to do is drop in a mickey d's yeah um yeah i think i i, I do you know look i think i, I think the you know again what makes Spike great, and sorry, I keep using the word Spike. Uh, You're on a first name basis. You're close friends. Yeah, Mr. Spike Lee um, is that, you know, um, he he's a populist. You know, he is a, you know, you know like we talked last week with about uh, Steven Spielberg. He is a pop culture filmmaker. He's a pop icon into himself. He's Mars Blackman. Um, you know, so uh, that means that what he says carries weight in the popular zeitgeist. And it, but, it's you know, a lot of these ideas aren't new to the to to sort of narratives about um african americans in in the war for example you know like um even the hughes brothers film uh did presidents right is about soldiers coming back from vietnam mm-hmm. uh and having to deal with the fact that the that the world that they came back to uh didn't treat them fairly yes. I, I i love that movie in particular because i I, th- I feel like that movie is like an inverted forrest gump yeah whereas in forrest you know like in he's forrest like gump, rewarded he with and, everything he's rewarded with everything and then these guys come back and this is like they get the world does not care for them um but but I think I wonder if if no look uh, 
the, my 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 criticism is moot because Spike Lee is so good at what Spike Lee does, uh, and Spike Lee is a populist that makes amazing things that 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 draw attention to this. Um, my criticism that I wonder if like the narrative qualities get lost are less important than than you or anyone else watching this and saying, "Wow, I didn't think about Vietnam." You know, uh, or, you know, African American children in Vietnam. Uh, you know, I, I just didn't think about it. And I think the, the 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 part of this film that I think is and this is a good example of narrative versus political is the introduction of the Make America Great hat. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that Delroy Lindo's character wears this Make America Great hat is a Trump supporter. And there's something obviously politically said to be uh, to be noted for the fact that the, the most sort of uh, mentally unstable character happens to be the Trump supporter. President fake bone want. spurs, as they yeah. refer to him in <laughs> yeah. the. Uh... And also, I just love that the film, like, you know, again, in terms of the political uh, or the political aesthetic cuts to that shot of uh, President Fake Bone Spurs or Agent Orange, as uh, as uh, yeah. Spike Lee refers to him, um, and points out this guy, uh, this you know uh, this African American guy who used to wear this T-shirt, Blacks for Trump, yep, uh, and literally just points it out. And and what I think the thing is there is with that, like a carnival arrow, with a carnival arrow, yeah, yeah, exactly. Is that is that? So the thing is, I think the film would be interesting if it tried to love that character. And it does, but right at that very first moment, Spike Lee jumps in and makes fun of that character and makes direct fun of like that character that character type. And you know, like underlies the idea that that it's ridiculous that this person should to listen to Trump. Now, politically, trust me, I'm on board with that idea. I'm just I'm just saying it's like that's that sort of tension that I get from loving his characters but, and loving who, who these characters are. What I what I um, really liked sort of that they did that, the friends call him out, they have a discussion and then they keep going and yeah. then you start getting again, it's no there's no excuse for the way a person or a character in this case acts. But there yeah. are reasons that that craft people into who they are. And yeah. Paul uh, the character of Paul, played by Delroy Lindo, um, it, it, and is you know uh, with his, the character's son David, uh, played by Jonathan Majors. Um, the way that their uh, you know life has worked, and you find out some dark things. How I believe David's mother died in childbirth, and uh, Paul was disillusioned, as many uh, returning African American soldiers were, with the world that they sort of were coming back to. Fuck! Even the 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 quote unquote black GI radio transmissions, like Hannah, Hannah. Yeah. yeah. Um. Holy shit! But the 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 sort of point about that is, I think it does actually try, like it it makes fun of in a way that like friends can make fun of friends with different political beliefs. Then mm. it sort of goes back and like tries to show you what would lead a person to think the way that this person thinks. Right. Um, and you can you don't have to agree with that person and you don't have to say that the way that that person thinks is OK, but you can look at the paths as a logical human being, the, the, the touch points of a person's life and be like, OK, I can see how it got here. And I think that that does something with the character of Paul quite adeptly uh, yeah. throughout this film, um, even even though I would say as the movie pushes on that character's conclusion uh 
versus other characters' conclusions are a bit disparate. Yeah. Um, but I think I almost think that was by design as well. Like yeah, so uh, Spike Lee did an interview in the Atlantic with David Sims, and I think uh, the writer Kevin Wilmot talked about just the hat itself. And he wrote, you know, the hat is almost like a horror movie motif. It's the transference of evil. You know, like obviously we see Jean, Jean Reno's character at the end. Ah, uh, the professional. Put it on sort of as a signal of that he just killed that person, but also as like a, you know. It's a mustache idiot. twirl. Yeah, it is his little mustache twirl. Um, and, you know, like the, you know, Spike Lee has talked about the fact that all black people aren't a monolith. And I think that's one really interesting, that's mm-hmm. a really important point to take away, which is that is that, you know, there is no singular movement that is unified by, quote-unquote, black people. Yes. It is, it is, uh, it is uh, every bit as multi, uh, as diverse a group as any, as the entire population itself. And, and you know, I think it's, a, I think it, I, to me, that is the most interesting political thing that this film does, is have a character that is a Trump supporter um, from a filmmaker that clearly doesn't think very highly of Trump supporters, particularly African-American Trump supporters. Um, and and to humanize that character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the the final moments of Delroy Lindo's are kind of uh, Marlon Brando and Apocalypse Now, you know, kind of sort of level. It's that it's that it's that level of understanding the madness. Um, and you know, he that, has the that, most toward camera straight to, you know, point yeah. audience monologue stuff that we talked about before than any other character. Yeah, it's the quote I brought up at the beginning. It's literally the horror, the horror, you know, which is the 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 war, yeah, uh, and 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 the 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 traces it leaves behind. I think we haven't even talked about the sort of even one of the most sort of jarring and interesting technical uh, or um, stylistic approaches that this film does, which is that in flashbacks the older characters play themselves in the flashbacks. Love it. I yeah. and I was looking at that and I was like. And then, and I hate, to, I hate to do this. Maybe your brain went here too. But I was like, then I looked at the Irishman. The Irishman, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> look, was the combat in this film the most believable combat ever based around the ages of these men? No, but that's not the fucking point. Like, and I just, I saw the use of the same actors here, especially, uh, you know, and their fallen, uh, uh, their fallen friend, um, Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman. I'm trying to remember the character's name though. Um, not uh, Melvin. N- not Norman. 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 Thank you so much. Yeah. That like he because he passed away, uh, he's the same yeah. age. But they're well, remembering not only that, this. But he becomes like transcendent. You yeah. Know? Like he he becomes this character who sounds like Martin and Malcolm. But but it works. To have these four actors, these older actors, play their young selves and not try to young them up too much, mm-hmm. uh, it was I, when the the second it happened, I was like, "Huh?" And then I was like, "Fuck yes!" Mm-hmm. Like you cannot, like you cannot get the performance from. I mean, you can get a different performance, but you'll never get that performance. Yeah. And I did. I looked back at the Irishman, and I was, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, if I had to ask myself what film portrayed actors of different ages playing themselves at different ages better or what technique works better i would say to five bloods um but again that could be personal preference it just it was an interesting 
it was an interesting like what is important how are you going to show this important thing and it, and it goes to it kind of you know like though i love the irishman it kind of goes to that question of like why does why is it spike lee finds it challenging to make money or to to get money to make his movies whereas martin scorsese can get 200 million dollars to 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 make the irishman now i think now, i know the answer to that well the, i i think the answer is complicated it's very it's it's a comp, it, there, there's again there's no monolithic answer to this that is singular i kind of have one why but i think you know like just looking at it on the surface you know the fact that he still I think struggles and, you know, from, for all accounts has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder for that, um, which I was like, well, I don't disagree. Like, you know, he is one of the most important American filmmakers yet struggles to get financing films. That's the only thing I'd say there is that, you know, like uh, Martin Scorsese is an anomaly and, you know, Spike Lee is not the only filmmaker that is that struggles to get money to make his movies. But but on the surface of it, if you go, well, two hundred million dollars to make, you know, this this sort of de-aging process which some people questioned versus this film which just has to run with what it has uh which is the more effective and you know which you know kind of worked for you i you know i think i it's hard to argue with that equation i think the answer and this is not a bad this, this is not uh trying to vilify or, or or um take anything away from martin scorsese but the reason why he can keep making films and keeps getting funding is because a lot of his stuff is more power fantasy and and crowd pleasing, than thought provoking. Now I'm not saying his what? films are not thought provoking; they are if you're in that context. But again, to your point in the beginning, Shahir, Spike Lee's films are not there to make you feel good. Spike well, Lee's films are there to hopefully entertain you enough to also educate you. I, I think what it is is Spike Lee's relationship to the audience is a different relationship than Martin Scorsese has to the audience. Sure, Spike Spike Lee provokes. You know, like Spike Lee doesn't just gently prod, he provokes, you know, whereas Martin Scorsese at the end of his films kind of turns the camera gently towards the audience, like the end of The the Wolf of Wall Street. He sort of turns the camera gently to the audience to reveal itself. But that's um, the thing, you know, right? Like, you know, whereas Spike Lee sticks a finger in the audience's eye, you know, like the whole way through. And what's more effective in getting an idea across? Uh, basically uh, idolizing evil characters for 80% of your film and then like, oh, showing them get a little bit of comeuppance, but not really. And that's the system, kids. Or actually getting you down in the shit with what's actually going on. And what's more enjoyable to watch <laughs> versus what Marvin Gaye? <laughs> well, the, <laughs> you know, it's, I think that's what it is. Um, I think that's what it is. I think, um, and, that's and what it is. That's fucking what it is. <laughs> kudos to Spike Lee for, continuing to do what he does yeah i mean look you, you only have to look as far as a film like bamboozled to see you know like how how willing spike lee is to like poke his audience right in the you know like yeah and and really provoke his audience and i and i think that's that in many ways is part of the the issue here in terms of like why spike lee may struggle to get financing you know um and and by the way that that is entirely anecdotal he obviously still makes movies yep. um it's just that yeah you know when you look at Martin Scorsese getting $200 million to do this and $200 million to do the next thing, you know, like it's, you know, why isn't Spike Lee up on the same sort of caliber of, of work? And there is no one single answer to that question. I think I mine was think. pretty good. <laughs> um, so look, uh, the the moment 
that you're speaking, there's lots of moments where I think that flashback structure really worked. The and I stated earlier that I didn't quite necessarily feel the love, although I think it is a you know uh, uh, an incredibly well made film and a, and a provocative moment film of the now. But there is a moment when Delroy Lindo starts monologuing to camera, which I thought was really beautiful, beautifully executed. And then when he has to confront the ghost of of Norm. Yep. And Norm forgives him, which is essentially him forgiving himself. Yeah. I think that is a beautiful moment that that lands on every level. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a it's it's um uh you know, it's idealistic and and optimistic in a way that I don't think I've seen Spike Lee do necessarily, you know, like his his movies tend to be tinged with with sort of a fairly oblique cynicism. Well, I mean, uh, I wouldn't call but, it optimistic. I I, but, I would call it uh, roundabout and final. Well, I think the thing here is is that this is a character forgiving himself, and. The point, the reason why it works is exa- is the technique that you're talking about, which is the idea that this character has, inter- you know, the actor playing the older version has basically been navigating the memory of his younger self. And and in his memory of his younger self, he looks the same, but this character, Norman, has never aged. Yeah. And, and that's what makes those flashbacks really interesting is that they're not a one-to-one, you know, direct, this is what happened. They are the character's... Uh, of now re-entering their past, yeah, and that's what that makes that technique so effective. Is that we we f- you know when we finally come to the conclusion of that story, when Norman forgives Paul, it it is a culmination of the entire technique the way we you know throughout the entire film, and it is beautiful. And um, and and even just the again, I'm always a sucker for this sort of stuff, but the aspect ratio and film grain change when they go back and forth, uh, I really appreciated. Um, also, Man, that, that that helicopter shot against the sort of uh, yeah. against the sun, where uh, there must be a photograph or something where that image comes from, yeah. because it is in every single Vietnam film. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Uh huh. And if better, more educated for photographic listeners can email us in at onlymoviepodcast.gmail.com, point us to where that image comes from. Um, I really, I, but all the characters kind of go through their own stuff too. We're sort of, uh, we're sort of. Um, uh, touching on sort of the major one with Paul's character uh, and the relationship with his son David, who takes on a larger and larger role as the film goes on. But even uh, Norm Lewis's Eddie and Isaiah Whitlock Jr.'s Melvin, uh, they all have different moments. Or even Otis, uh, Otis, like has that. Readers? Oh, yeah, my man, Lister Freeman. How's uh, has um like the opioid, like the oxycotton yeah. moment? Yeah, like there's so many small bits that are just fucking true and it's friends just talking about true shit in a in a in a insane situation yeah i mean i and i'm gonna butcher um this guy's name but the the um the uh tour guide i think it's uh lam johnny nyan vintran yeah 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 the he was like a perfect fulcrum as well based around the other side of like this war. Yeah. I I I don't know. This movie, uh, you know, Shahir, you know me. I'm a fan yeah. of plate spinning. 
And this movie spun for me like the entire fucking kitchen's worth of dishware and did not drop a fucking thing. Um, <laughs> I, I, and, and look, maybe I went into this thing full, full blind. Uh, I didn't know what I was getting into. I, I just saw didn't like. Did you watch a trailer? No. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And, and did that, was that, I mean, was that worth, you know, like, did that help? I don't know because I can't. This is the problem with that argument, or not even right. argument. That question, I can yeah. never know. Yeah, right. But because like I could do it with a different film, but then it's yeah. not going to be the same thing. So like okay. I'll tell you for this one, it was great going in blind because I knew it had something to do with Vietnam based on like the 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 Netflix image or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was it, and so I was along for the ride. When it went from vacation to where they used to go, to, where they where they were in a war, to dealing with what that war means to a lot of different levels, both back home and abroad, to we are going to honor our friend who fell here, to actually we're going to get this gold that we hid because we fu- we're fucking owed this shit, to actually our friend didn't die due to the Viet Cong, but for uh, another reason, to all of the political leanings that we've talked about that fit all of the cracks in between, it was a fucking great ride. And right. uh, I hope if by this point listening to the podcast, you've already seen it, because I would hate to be a person to spoil any of that for the experience that this film delivers to you. I guess that's kind of my final thought. This movie's fucking yeah. great. This movie's yeah, my favorite I mean, Spike Lee movie, I think. Like Your favorite Spike Lee movie? I okay. think so. Okay. I, 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 <sighs> I don't know. I, I'm, I I finished this movie at like one forty in the morning, and I was okay. up for like the next hour and a half, just like brain racing. Like, <laughs> it, it. I don't know. I fucking this movie was great. <laughs> no, that I'm 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 thrilled that that is the case because you know like I the you know the main thing for me is being excited about Spike Lee. Yeah. You know, like I just he's such. And we had this conversation where I think we talked about Crooklyn or maybe in Black Klansman was mm-hmm. that my relationship to Spike Lee in terms of his films was that I was so excited by his work because of Do the Right Thing. Yeah. And every film after it, you know, I would just go, you know, it was a absolute must see that I must watch everything of his. And then when I came to the United States and like realized that he had a public persona. That was one thing, but then the people didn't like that public persona, yeah. and people didn't like Spike Lee, and I was like, "What? How could you not like him? He's such a genius filmmaker." Um, and and so for me, just having people be excited about Spike Lee kind of aligns with with how I feel about him. You know, like it's 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 a no brainer to me that he is again just this incredible filmmaker. You know, we even talked about Stefan Bristol, uh, who directed um, "See You to- uh, uh, Was It See You Tomorrow." Yes. See you- yep. 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 See, yeah. Yeah. Um, or see you, you know, yesterday. About- yeah, see you yesterday. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, talking about the influence of Spike Lee, um, you know, had on his career. Um, the fact that you know they 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 put the you know Jonathan Majors character is walking around with a Morehouse t- uh, uh, T-shirt in throughout the entire film. Um, you know, like he's just he is <laughs> this minuscule icon, and I I mean that playfully. He's a he's a he's a small man, um, but but just a delightful small man um, that that uh, whose films I think are incredible works of art and and um and uh, you know i I think in black klansman there's a moment where uh, i forget the speaker's name but uh he's speaking to an audience uh actually that that speaker who's part of the black panther party appears in this film in a little snippet as well i've forgotten Mm -hmm. i apologize for that um 
And we see this sort of triptych of faces that's being superimposed onto each other. And it's again, and they're looking directly at the camera as they're absorbing the message of that speaker. And that's the Spike Lee that I love. Mm-hmm. That's the, you know, the, the, the willingness to sort of fuse his politics with this sort of genuinely radical aesthetic. Yeah. Um, I think is, is incredible. And in this film, that, that, that genuinely radical aesthetic is like, you know, opening this film with Muhammad Ali talking about why would I ever go to Vietnam and then ending it with um, Martin Luther King talking, you know, having a full blown repudiation of, of Vietnam and talking about Langston Hughes poems. Yeah. You know, make America America again. Um, and then pointing out that that is the point, you know, that that African-American soldiers contributed so much to the war effort, yet received so much vitriol in exchange for their beliefs against war in general yeah and i will say this there was a part of me that watched this movie and i don't know if it was this movie that did this for me but maybe my hottest take of the night hot take is that war is abhorrent and war is absolutely abhorrent in every level like there is no part of seeing any war movie and maybe it's where i'm at in my life right Mm now where i think war is worth celebrating right. or vilifying or or, 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 um, or suggesting in any way that it has nobility behind it. I think war is is absolutely not worth the you know is nothing I want a part of in any way. Sure. You know, if I'm if I'm gonna stake my claim in any part, it's being a pacifist. And this movie, in a way, kind of brought, like I I I really felt that watching this movie. That and, and I guess it be, it's because this film is really talking about these characters, you know, like there's this conversation that happens around war, which is that soldiers are fodder for political gains. Yeah. And this is a film where those characters are definitely, you know, they're 100 percent fodder for political gain, for political motives that they don't even care about. That's yeah. what Muhammad Ali is talking about at the very beginning of this movie. And and for me, that was that was a real clear sense that, you know, there's no way. I would ever want to be a part of anything that has to do with warmongering. Now, you could suggest that living in the United States, you're inherently complicit in that in that uh, uh, in that action. Um, so that I, I take the hypocrisy with uh, with uh, with a full understanding. But but you know that that's a sort of a clear line for me. Um, and whether that film did that whether the film did that or whether that was just where i was in the in 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 the world at that point i'm not exactly sure but i will say i i didn't quite feel the love for the characters in this movie but i do love spike lee the political filmmaker yeah uh we should definitely i know we've talked about it before but we should do our 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 look at war in cinema at some point because (laughs) it's fascinating the the i mean (laughs) We might as well just call it propaganda. Yeah, the um, propaganda movie, yeah. But yeah, uh, the... yeah, I think that'd be really good. But I have, I have. Before we go, I have no, one question slash criticism, minor, minor thing. Sure. Where did they put Storm and Norman's body when they were coming back? I, you know, I. Th- what's really what I hope they do some good packing because if they packed it under the gold. That would be a real dumb move. Yeah, it seems like, like all like, the bags just had gold in it. <laughs> gold in it. <laughs> like they got there and they found his body and they're like, well. But they did We bring can it only back. take one of these two things home. Because the coffin <laughs> came out, so there has to be some of the remains of the coffin. I don't know. Anyway, that was my literal one minor <laughs> nit to pick. I was like, where's There's, Norman? 
Yeah, there's a there's there's an occasionally there's like an editing technique that he uses here, which is clearly a choice. Where, when any characters embrace, he does a double take, a, a yep. double hit edit. So you'll see him in in the in the reverse cut. They'll 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 hug twice. Yep. Um, and it's clearly a choice. And I think it's sort of for me what it does is it increases the impact of, mm-hmm. of the hug. You know, you kind of see it twice. It happened twice, and it matters. Um, but there is some there, there are some editing choices in this where um, characters are tied up. And then they're, and then suddenly they're not <laughs> walking, you know, and, and you're just going, well, clearly there was probably just a jump made here to yeah. kind of like move the story along. Again, um, doesn't matter, but it doesn't know, matter. if I'm going to, if I'm going to criticize movies that I dislike, I will have some, here's my minor criticism of this I movie. I think when I you're a filmmaker of that caliber, that's clearly demonstrated your understanding to how yeah. films get made. Um, you're also, you're, you're entitled to sort of be cavalier yeah. with the rules yeah. <laughs> if there are any. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been the only podcast about the film to five bloods. Shakir, when you are not coming up with the hottest of takes, such as war bad, war is bad. <laughs> where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me uh, painting my peace sign on my wall at my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Uh, Matt, when you are... N- running around at two o'clock in the morning spinning plates on your head where can people find you you can find me uh really just debating the validity of bud light and apocalypse now at m-a-t-t-h-e-w-k-r-o-l.com for my life and works also skeletor the number four pierre on instagram and psn and emperor msk on twitter also please check out the good works we're doing over at extra credits by the time this comes out i believe we will have finally released the um uh, exploring the Pacific series on Extra History, and we'll be doing something on the trolley problem, uh, as made famous uh, recently anyway, not by just Philippa Foot, but also uh, The Good Place. Uh, oh, what and- is the tro- Wait, no, no, wait. T- just fill me in on the trolley problem. Trolley problem is you're on a trolley that has a run... It's a runaway trolley, and it's about to hit five people on the tracks, but oh, you have okay, a thing, yes, and you can pull the lever, and it of- can go on a sidetrack that just kills one person. What's the right move? Yeah. Um, have fun with that one. Um, my my other trolley one was that uh, you can always tell a person whether they're willing to return a trolley in the supermarket uh, in the supermarket parking lot or not. You can tell a character of a human being by whether they're willing to do that or not willing to do that. You mean a shopping cart? Yeah, shopping cart. Oh, okay. We call it a trolley in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that well, it's funny because there's an interesting quandary based on uh, self-driving cars because that's basically a trolley problem. Does the car yeah, it is. prioritize four passengers or one pedestrian? Like, who the fuck knows? <laughs> Um, yeah. But so we got that. Oh, and I'd like to give a shout out to our, uh, I believe it was coined, our our, our Kissing Cousins podcast, uh, Oeuvre Busters. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Who, that I did a, uh, a guest spot on for Lego Batman. So shout out to the boys over there. Shahir, um, I don't know if you've listened, but uh, I, 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 I praise you while also calling myself handsome. So it's really peak Matthew Kroll <laughs> stuff. um uh what what was the response Uh, was there a a general agreement or the general agreement was uh yeah 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 well i I think what it was and and you can listen to it please go check out uber busters and their good works they're doing with all of the batman uh films but i believe the general consensus was look shahir just because you're taller than me and have better hair and nice bone structure and (laughs) uh a, a, a lovely family and uh, you know, have classical good looks. That doesn't mean you're more, and you're more educated. That doesn't mean you're more handsome than me, because the straw man argument I set up was that <laughs> handsomeness is an unquantifiable thing. So 
you know, sorry, bud. Yeah, you, that that sounds about right. I will definitely, <laughs> I will definitely check out an episode of Uru Busters just to hear their thoughts on my bone structure there at some go. point. There you go. Anyway, uh, we'll be back next week with a movie. We will be. I've started collecting some interviews for the Lord of the Rings episode. I have a fantastic interview with an Oscar winner from Lord of the Rings, and it's so good it could be an entire episode unto itself, and I'm having a real time cutting it down and finding the time to cut it down. But we will at some point do a Lord of the Rings episodes with lots of interviews from people who worked on the film, hopefully. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. So, yeah. Thanks, I'm New Zealand. about that. Thank you, New Zealand. Uh, they also just did a great for charity thing uh, with the cast reuniting on a stream. I don't know if yeah, you saw it. Yeah, Josh Gad show. It's really uh, fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's a lot of. He's doing. He did it with Ghostbusters. I think he did it with Back to the Future. Yeah. He's. Uh, yeah. Lord of the Rings yeah. was my big one though for that. For that. The, I'm surprised they didn't ask me back. You know, because I was like, oh, we know this guy was an extra in one scene. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe they didn't get my number. I don't know. I don't know. I'll see what it is. Well, with that, I'm. I'm not bitter about it. I'm not bitter about it. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you next week. Josh, can't call me. Bye.